1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, look at verse 1. Follow along as I read. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. And so he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. And he went and lay down again. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And so Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he answered, son, I did not call you. Go back to bed. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And so he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and lay down in his place. And now the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Skip down to verse 19 for a minute. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. And then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning, and it is our desire as we gather here in this place, as at other times, that, Lord, you would speak to us by your word, that you would minister to our hearts, and God, that you would meet us here this morning in a special way. And so we give you this time now in Jesus' name, amen. You know, the phrase God spoke to me is one that causes a lot of believers a great deal of consternation. I mean, they hear someone say, the other day, you know, God spoke to me and, and I, and, and they think, what do you mean God spoke to you? Did you hear an audible voice? What are you talking about? In fact, I know some believers who would say, I've never heard God personally speak to me. I've never heard God speak to me. I think most of us, if we were honest, we would love to pick up our phones each morning and hear something like this. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't that just be awesome, you know, if like each morning you wake up and it's like, okay, I'm going to get my message today from God. But you know what? God doesn't do that. 
That's not what he does. He's not going to give you a, a little voicemail message once a week to give you, or once a day to give you instructions for the day. And part of the reason for that is because God is interested in having a relationship with us. He wants to converse with us. He wants us to hear, learn to hear his voice. He wants to be a part of our everyday life. The title of the message today is Holy Headphones, and we're going to talk about hearing God's voice. And the questions that we want to consider today are these. Who does God talk to? What does his voice sound like? And how do we get ourselves into the right posture to hear his voice? Notice what, once again, in, in verse 1, that we read that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Other translations say that it was precious. The idea is, is that it was scarce, that God wasn't speaking to anyone. Now understand, God speaking was rare, not because God didn't want to speak, but because no one was listening. You see, this is right at the tail end of the time of the judges where we have learned in our study of the book of Judges that it was a time in Israel when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So they had tuned God out. They weren't listening to God. In fact, Eli's response here is very interesting to me. You know, the third time he recognizes, you know what, this is God. This is God speaking to this young boy, Samuel. So he tells him, hey, next time you, know, you hear the voice say to God, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. As I read that, I, I wondered if Eli, since he was the high priest, if God had ever spoken to him. If he was familiar, if, God, if he had heard that voice of God. I mean, since he was the you know, spiritual leaders of Israel. But now God isn't speaking to Eli. Why? Well, maybe one of the reasons is that Eli was tolerating the rebellion of his own two sons. We'll learn more about that this Wednesday night. But in a nutshell, his boys were taking advantage of God's people and doing horrible things. And Eli was looking the other way. And this is a principle that we see throughout Scripture is the Bible is very, very clear that sin breaks intimacy. It breaks our intimacy with God. It breaks intimacy in relationships. I mean, think about the very first two people, Adam and Eve. They're there in the garden, and it says that they were naked and they weren't ashamed. I mean, they're just cruising around in their birthday suits and not thinking you know, twice about it until they ate the forbidden fruit. And once they ate the forbidden fruit, the Bible tells us that they recognized that they were naked and they were ashamed. And they hid themselves from God. But God in his grace and his love and his mercy, he pursued after them. But the principle is clear. Sin destroys innocence and it destroys intimacy. But here we see that God comes looking for this young man, Samuel. And this gives us some insight into who God speaks to. First of all, a child. A child. Here in chapter 3, we have this young man named Samuel. He lives with the high priest Eli. He serves there in the tabernacle. It's an awesome story about how he ends up there. Again, we'll learn more about this on Wednesday night. But the Reader's Digest version is this, is that his mom was this awesome godly woman, and she was barren. She couldn't have kids. And in that culture, to be barren, it meant that you would be ridiculed. In fact, most people looked at a woman who was barren and thought that she was cursed. Cursed by God. 
And Hannah, Samuel's mom, she just gets so downtrodden because of this. And she's getting so just, you know, sick of all the ridicule that she prays to God and says, God, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. Well, Samuel was the result of that prayer. And at the appropriate age, probably around eight or nine years old, she presented him to the priest. Now, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that Samuel was about 12 or 13 years old at this time. And Samuel is living with Eli, the high priest. He's working there in the tabernacle. He's the setup boy. He's the errand boy. He's carrying the oil. He's cleaning up. But this is who God speaks to, a child. Now, before you think, well, that rules me out because I haven't been a child for a very, very long time, I want you to remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. And there Jesus was telling his disciples and us that the key to spiritual life is having a childlike faith. You know, it's not hard for kids to believe in a personal God. It's not hard for kids to believe in a God who cares about them. That's why kids are such great prayer warriors, you know? I mean, you go into children's ministry on practically any given day and say, anybody have a prayer request? And all these hands go up. Why? Because they believe in a God who cares about them, and there's nothing too small for him to pray about. They haven't come to that place in their lives where they're so self-sufficient that they think, you know, I can handle this on my own. And so they have this tendency to just go, yeah, we need to pray. We need to pray for my Aunt Betty, and we need to pray for my Turtle Trixie, you know? And most of us, though, being adults, we would never ask God to, you know, we'd never pray for our Turtle Trixie, because we think God's got more important things to do, right, than to take care of my little turtle. But kids aren't that way. They believe in a God who is personal, I wonder, though, how many other things that we fail to bring to God for the same reason that we just think, oh, he's not interested in that, even though, even though his word tells us that he knows the number of hairs on your head, that you are more important to him than the flowers that he clothes on a regular basis, and that his thoughts for you outnumber the sand, And yet we're so reluctant to bring things to them, but not kids. Kids have a simple faith. They believe not just in a personal God, but they also believe in a big God who can do anything, that there's nothing that is too hard for God. And that's why kids aren't afraid to pray big prayers, because they believe in a big God. I'm teaching again out at the Bible college on Wednesday mornings. And in my Bible college class, we're going through the book of Joshua, and I gave them an assignment this past week or two weeks ago that I wanted them to write a paper that they were going to have to share in front of the class on why they believe in a big God. I tell you, their papers were amazing. I love this class because they are so incredibly honest. They'll say things sometimes, I'm like, I can't believe you just said that, but I'm glad that you did, you know? Because sometimes we try to lay out this persona, you know, where we just, you know, we say all the right things. And, but, but, you know, as they were writing their paper and I had them get up and each one of them share, of course they gave all the great theological answers. 
Like, I believe in a big God because of Genesis 1-1, that he was the creator. I believe in a big God because, you know, Jesus rose again from the dead. But they also shared these great personal expressions. Like one who said this, I believe in a big God because I believe in a little Chelsea. I think that's just profound. I believe in a big God because I believe in a little me. Another one said, I believe in a big God because if I didn't, I would die of small faith. Or I believe in a big God because he has done big things in my heart. My point is this. A key to hearing God's voice is having a childlike faith. It's believing that God is big enough to hear you amidst the millions of other people who are praying to him at the exact same time And it's also believing that he is personal enough to respond and that he is interested in the everyday affairs of your life. Who does God talk to? Those who have a childlike faith. Well, that leads us to consider the second question, how does God speak to us? Well, here in the story, obviously God was speaking to Samuel in an audible voice, but I would venture to say that that is not the norm. I, for one, have never heard God speak to me in an audible voice, and I know very few Christians who have, who have heard God speak to them in an audible voice. I've had a few, and I ask them, you know, well, what did he sound like, you know? There's a few, but I don't know very many. So how does God speak? Well, obviously, he speaks to us through his word. Every day, we have the opportunity to have God speak to us as we you know, get up in the morning and we grab our Bibles and we have that time of personal devotion. And it's there that God, through his word, can speak to our hearts. It's like the Holy Spirit, as we're reading, there's some truth that we just get this sense, I need to grab a hold of that. Or there's some promise that he wants us to embrace. Or suddenly there's this conviction that there's something in our life that needs to change. And that particular verse on that particular day is drawing our attention to it. Or you come to a church setting like this. And whether it's myself or Pastor Jason or someone else, they're, they're teaching the word of God. And as they're teaching and sharing, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's ministering to your heart. In fact, I often see it. It kind of blows my mind that as I'm preaching, I'll look out and some of you will get this kind of glazed look on your face. Some of you, it's because you're daydreaming. You're thinking about being at the beach or at work or lunch. But some of you, the reason why is right in that moment, I said something that triggered something and the Holy Spirit was, you know, has been talking to you during the week about this and suddenly you start thinking about it. And you're just off for a few minutes and you're not hearing me. And what's a crack up is afterwards, you'll come up and say, oh, the Lord was really speaking through you today and I was so ministered to and this is what God was saying to me. And as you're talking to me, I just start to smile because I realize I didn't say any of that. That wasn't anything I even talked about. But what was it? It was God. It was his spirit speaking to your heart. So God speaks to us through his word. And he can also speak to our hearts by his spirit. But what does his voice sound like? I think there's a scene in the life of the prophet Elijah that gives us some insight into the answer to that question. It happens after Elijah's big showdown on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 19. Don't turn there, but you can read it later on. And I encourage you to read the story. It's an awesome story. 
But there, that Queen Jezebel gets mad because all of her prophets, all of her false prophets have now been killed. And so, you know, she just wants to get Elijah. So Elijah flees. He heads for the hills, literally. He goes up into the mountains and he's hiding out. And it's there that God comes and pursues Elijah. And while he is in this cave, the scriptures tell us that there was an earthquake that shook the cave, that shook the mountain. But then it says, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then following the earthquake, there was a mighty rushing wind. But again, the text tells us, but God wasn't in the wind. And then once again, there's a fire and Elijah can see it and feel it. But the text tells us that God wasn't in the fire. But then it says this, but then... God came and spoke to Elijah in a whisper, in a still, small voice. And the Hebrew makes it very, very clear that it was a calmness. It was a whisper. We're not absolutely sure if it was a voice at all or just a calming effect that was in his heart in a sense of the Spirit speaking to his spirit. And this is what God said to Elijah. He said, Elijah, what are you doing? Why are you here? This isn't where you belong. Why are you hiding out in this cave? Why are you hiding out in this mountain? And you know what? Some of you have been hearing that same still small voice of the Lord saying to you the exact same thing. What are you doing? Why are you here? Because you're living in compromise. And God's saying, man, I've got so much more for you. And the voice of his spirit whispering to your heart is, why are you here? what are you doing? Or, or maybe it's because you've been kind of sitting and, and sulking in self-pity. No one cares about me and God's going, what are you doing? Why are you here? You know that's not true. Well, you need to get back up and you need to get back into the game. I've got so much more for you. But here's what I want you to see. This is what's fascinating to me about this story is God wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the wind, and he wasn't in the fire. And what I find fascinating about that is the natural tendency of most of us when our life gets shaken is to think God is trying to tell me something. God's trying to get my attention. Now, God will do that at times. Usually it's when you're so far gone or you're so much in rebellion, God will shake up your life because he loves you and he wants to get your attention. But that's not the norm. It's not the norm. Oftentimes when these shakings come, it's just life. It's not God, although he allowed it to happen, but it, he wasn't the cause of it. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even the devil. Listen, life happens to all of us. Fires start, winds blow, trials come, shakeups happen, but that's not necessarily God's way of talking to us. Think of it this way. You know, when I was dating my wife, I didn't throw bricks through her bedroom window with little notes attached to them, you know? I didn't set her car on fire to get her attention. No, I just talked to her. And you know what? God just wants to talk to us. But God often speaks in a whisper, the quietness of his spirit speaking to our hearts. And we see this in the story of Samuel. God's voice is tender. Samuel, 
He doesn't come booming, Samuel, you know. He doesn't come screaming. It's not loud and angry. Samuel's not getting up out of bed and, you know, freaking out and traumatized. God's talking to me. No. It's not like that at all. It's tender. Samuel. You know, my wife, who was singing up here this morning, she loves to sleep. Loves to sleep. Okay? It's one of her favorite things to do, and she can sleep almost at any time, anywhere. She loves to sleep. Now, she's a workhorse, but boy, when she gets that opportunity you know, to lay the head down, she loves to sleep. And so for our whole marriage, I have been her personal alarm clock. She relies upon me because I usually always get up first to wake her up. And you know what? When I wake her up each morning, I don't scream at her. Denise, it's time to get up. I... I, I, I I don't take the covers and yank them off the bed, okay? Now, that would be effective, but she wouldn't like it, you know? And you know that saying, happy wife, happy life? Well, that's true, and I know that, and I want her to be happy. So I wake her up each morning. I come and kiss her on the cheek. I rub her on the shoulder, and I say something like, honey... It's time to wake up. We need you. The day needs you, you know. It's sweet. It's tender. I I don't go yelling at her. Well, God, he's tender when he speaks. And he's also patient. I mean, God calls four times here to this young guy. It's not three strikes and you're out. God doesn't say, you know, after the second time, oy vey, you know, this young kid, you know, just doesn't get it. I mean, maybe he's not ready. No. God is patient. He's tender. And for some of you, God has been whispering to you for quite some time. He's been tender and he's been patient and he's been saying, hey, you need to get with the program. Will you listen to him today? God is a whisperer. Oh, now, now he can if he get loud if he wants to. The psalmist said, his voice thunders on the waters, but to those he loves, to those who are seeking him, it's a whisper. His Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts, a calmness, a peace, a strong impression that we get in a sense that, hey, this is God. Now, I want you to note this, though. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he's never, ever going to say something to you that contradicts God's word. He's never going to tell you that in this situation, it's okay to lie. He's never going to say to you that, you know, you're the exception. It's okay if you live with your girlfriend. He's not going to tell you that, okay? Because that contradicts God's word. He's not going to tell you that it's okay for you to cheat on your taxes. Now, I say that because I have had some people say some crazy things to me that they say that God told them or God gave them a peace that they could do, and it totally contradicts God's word. He is not going to do that. That wasn't God. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It might have been pizza. It was probably the devil, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit, okay? Because in John chapter 16, Jesus said in verse 13, when he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. 
Essentially, Jesus is saying when the Spirit speaks, it's going to line up with what you've already heard from me. So who does the Lord speak to? Those who have a childlike faith. How does God speak to us? Sometimes, very, very rare, audibly. Most of the time through his word, but also through his spirit speaking to our hearts. So here's the third thing that we want to consider today. How do we get ourselves into the right posture to hear him speak? And once again, there's a few things I think we can learn here from Samuel. First of all, note that Samuel was separated to God. He was separated to God. Samuel was living a life that was devoted to God. When his mother gave him to live with the priest, it meant that Samuel wasn't going to live a normal kind of life of a normal Jewish kid there in Israel. Samuel was, wasn't just separated, though, from a normal life. Get this. He was separated unto God. In fact, look at verse 1. It says that as he ministered to the Lord... He's ministering to the Lord. And and I want you just to note this. I could preach a whole sermon on this. In fact, I have before, that there's a difference between ministering to the Lord and ministering for the Lord. Oftentimes, you know, we come and we're ministering for the Lord. We're doing all this stuff. There are a lot of activity. But this sense, this idea of ministering to the Lord is about devotion. It's about worship. It's about bringing our hearts before him. We read in Acts chapter 13 of the elders there in Antioch. It says, as they ministered to the Lord that the Holy Spirit spoke to them. That's when God speaks to us, is when we're ministering to him. Samuel was separated to the Lord. Now, why is that important? Well, because God calls us as believers to live separated lives as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, the Lord says, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Now, a lot of Times when young people, and sometimes even when old people, read that verse or hear that verse, they think, God doesn't want me to have any fun. He's calling me to be separate. He's calling me to to be different. And everybody in my school or everybody in my work, I mean, they're just going to think that I'm this freak. And their whole Christian faith becomes this thing that is about do's and don'ts. This is what I can do because I'm a Christian, and this is what I can't do because I'm a Christian. But listen, the Christian life isn't so much about duty as it is about devotion. And we desperately need to read the rest of that passage because this is what it says. The Lord says, do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Here's what God is saying. Here's what he wants us to understand. He says, I'm calling you not just out of something. Yeah, I'm calling you to be, you know, in this world, but not of it. I'm calling you out of something, but I'm also calling you into something or unto something. And what he's calling us into is to live in an intimate relationship with him. And that, my friends, is an amazing privilege. Think of it this way. When I married my wife, Denise, 27 years ago, I said on that day, I pledged my heart. I pledged vows that I would keep myself under Denise as long as we both shall live. And I have been faithful to that vow for 27 years. 
And I knew on that day when I said those things that it meant that I was never going to have a romantic relationship with another woman again. Now, prior to that, I had dated a few women. I'd had a couple serious relationships, but that all ended on July 12th of 1986. I vowed on that day that I was going to be a one-woman man. Now, when I said those things, it wasn't a matter of duty. It wasn't, oh, bummer, I can't date other women anymore, got this ball and chain around my ankle here and but I know it's the right thing to do it's the Christian thing to do so I'm gonna no it wasn't like that at all it wasn't a matter of duty it was all about devotion I was communicating to Denise you know what I don't want anyone else but you And I realized like many of you guys that I married up you know that I married out of my league And I was just glad that this godly hot chick wanted to be with me, you know? I was just thrilled, and it was a matter, not of duty, but it was devotion. Listen, when you realize that that the living God who made the world and everything in it, and who made you, and who is awesome and all-powerful and sovereign, and yet very, very personal, says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to be mine. I want you to know me, that he is calling you to be devoted to him and live in this intimate relationship with him. It changes everything. It's not about duty, but it's all about devotion. And for some of you, you struggle. Listen to me. Some of you here, you struggle in your walk with God. You go up and down all the time because you've never, ever progressed from duty to devotion. You've lived your whole entire Christian life in this premise. I know that it's the right thing to do to believe in Jesus because somebody told me if I wanted to go to heaven, I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to go to hell, that I needed to believe in Jesus. And so that's what I did. But you've never progressed beyond that. That's how I started when I first got saved. I okay, I don't want to go to hell. That sounds scary. I want to go to heaven. So I gave my heart to Jesus, but I haven't stayed there. No, I've come to realize that this awesome, incredible God desires this awesome and just amazing. He wants to reveal himself to me. And for some of you, you desperately need to move from duty to devotion today. So the first thing we see that Samuel was separated, but also notice Samuel was in a quiet place. He was in a quiet place. He was in a place where there was silence. And you know what? Sometimes silence is very, very important. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 10, It's a scene that takes place in the life of Peter where he gets this radical revelation that God wants to use him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. When did it happen? It happened when Peter got away by himself. It tells us there in the text that it was lunchtime. And lunchtime in the Jewish culture was very, very busy. Down below in the house, there would have been a lot of activity, a lot of people hustling and bustling around as people are, you know, make, as they were making the meal. But where's Peter? Peter is up on the roof, up on the patio where he can have a quiet time in a quiet place and quiet his heart. And that's when God speaks to him. 
sometimes getting away to a place where you can have, where you can quiet your heart in a quiet place in order to spend some quiet time with God is the key to hearing his voice. Because, you know, we live in this world where there's so much noise and so much distractions. We have our smartphones. Some people still have dumb phones, but most of us, we have our smartphones, you know, that talk to us and they do all this stuff and they play music and we have our TVs and our stereos and our radios and all of this stuff. In fact, right now, there are tons of frequencies moving throughout this room. There's Fox News. There's CNN, there's ESPN, but we're not hearing it, even though those frequencies are just going through the air, but we're not hearing that because we've come here today and we've quieted our hearts and we're tuned in to hopefully hear God speak to us through his word. So we're not hearing Sean Hannity or Charles Barkley or you know any of those people because we've come to hear from the Lord. And you know what? That's what we have to do on a regular basis is to learn to separate ourselves from the distractions and, and the noise in order to hear God's voice. Have you ever been on a plane when you're coming down the aisle? And, and if you're one of these people, I don't mean any offense by this, okay? I love kids. Some of you will thought by my comment about family cap last week that I don't love kids. I love kids, okay? But when I'm on a plane and somebody comes walking down the aisle and they've got two toddlers in their arms and it's a mom or a dad by themselves, I don't get excited about that, you know? Especially as they get closer to my seat. And then they sit right behind me and I know this is going to be a long flight. But then there's the guy next to me and he's got those noise reduction headphones, and the plane takes off, and he puts those on, and he is just in heaven. I mean, he's just not hearing anything, you know? It's just all tuned out. Well, you know what? I think we need to put on our holy headphones. We need to get into those, put ourselves in a place where we can hear God speak to us early in the morning or maybe late at night when everybody's gone to bed or everybody's still sleeping and we get alone and it's just us and God and the birds outside. I try to at least about once every two months to take a whole day that just is me and Jesus and we're going to get away and I'm just going to go somewhere that is quiet and still and just bring my heart before him. Letting him have my full, undivided attention. Here's what happens. The more that you do that, the more recognizable his voice becomes. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 says, Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Tune your ears. Now think about this in terms of the radio. You know, it's during the week, you, you're driving in your car, it's 4 o'clock, you've got 88.9 you know, on your radio to listen to the basics of life, and you know, you're in the car, and the, the program comes on, and it's you know, myself or Pastor Jason that's preaching, but, but you, you have it tuned to the right dial, but your mind is somewhere else. I like how it says there, tune in and concentrate. That's the idea. Lord, I need to put myself in a place where I can tune in and I can concentrate because I want to learn. I want your voice to become familiar to me. You know, back in the days when the telegraph was the fastest method of long-distance communication, there was a young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. 
Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to an office where the address was listed. And when he arrived, he entered a large, busy office filled with noise and and clatter and and chatter, and, and including the sound of a telegraph that was in the background. A sign on the receptionist's counter instructed job applicants to fill out a form and wait until they were summoned into the inner office. Well, the young man filled out his form and he sat down with the seven other applicants there in the waiting area. But after a few minutes, he got up, walked right across the hall, went into the inner office, and the other applicants are sitting there going, you know, who's this guy think he is? I mean, this is going to be interesting. They're probably going to walk him out and throw him out. But after a few minutes, the employer comes out with this young man And he says to all of the other people there, all the other guys, he says, hey, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming, but the job has been filled. The other applicants were like, that's not fair. He was the last guy to show up, and you haven't interviewed any of us. And then the employer said this, I'm sorry, but all the time that you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, come right in. The job is yours. None of those other guys heard it. But this young man had his antenna tuned to the sound of the telegraph. And he was able to hear it amidst all the other noise of the busyness around him. And so too. We live in this world that is full of busyness and clatter and distractions Just like in that office, with the more time that we spend listening to the Lord morning by morning or evening by evening or getting away with him at lunchtime or getting away with him for one day out of a month and just saying, God, I'm going to sit and I'm going to be still and I want to know that you are God, speak to me that his voice will become more recognizable to you. One more thing, and then we'll be done. Not only was Samuel separated, not only was Samuel in a quiet place, but Samuel was also responsive. When God called the fourth time, Samuel said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel submitted his heart to the Lord. Oswald Chambers, in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, said this, Get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, and life will become a romance. A romance? What does he mean by that? Well, in the same way, when two people are in love and two people are growing in their relationship, there's a certain chemistry that happens between them. I mean, you've seen it. You've experienced it. I mean, they start to finish each other's sentences. They start to think the same things. That's part of falling in love. And it's so fun when it happens. Well, listen, when we get in the habit of each day, we pick up our Bibles and we say, Lord, speak to me. We sit at his feet and and we quiet our hearts and we say, Lord, speak to me. I want to hear the voice of your spirit speaking to my heart. And then you actually respond to what he is saying. Life gets exciting. And the more that you do that, you know what? God is going to be working in your life big time. And the more that you respond, the more that he's going to talk to you. Because what he's going to find in you is a willing vessel. He talks, he says, hey, you need to take care of this. Or you need to go talk to that person over there. I know it seems kind of scary, but just walk over there and tell him, you know what, I don't know why, but God wants me to tell you that he loves you. 
And you start listening and responding when God is prompting your spirit in that type of way. And guess what? He's going to talk to you more. And life gets radically exciting. But you know what? Truth be told, that's the problem that a lot of us face if we're honest. We don't want to hear God speak to us. We don't want to hear what he says to us because we're afraid that we're not going to like what he says. We're, we're afraid that we're not going to like what he says to us, that, that you come before him, he says, you know what? She's not the one. You need to break up with her. Oh, God, I don't want to hear that. You hate your job. I love what Jason said a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. It's okay. It's part of the curse. The Bible says that you're going to work hard and probably not like it, you know. It's okay. It's like a revolutionary, you know, idea there. But you hate your job. You want to quit. But you don't want to pray because God might say, no, I don't want you to quit. I want you to hang in there. I'm doing something. You're having a hard time in your marriage. And you want to bail out. But there's no biblical reason to bail out. It's just hard. It's just difficult. And, and you don't want to go before God because God might say, no, you need to stay. Oh, you got a lot of friends. Oh, you deserve better, man. You should bail. But, but, but God's going to say, no, you need to hang in there. Oftentimes, we, we don't want to hear God's voice because we want to be comfortable. We're afraid that God might tell us to do something that's going to be uncomfortable. We want God to talk to us on our terms. Lord, I'm going to the track today. You know, show me who's going to win. I'll split the proceeds with you, you know. That's what we want. And that's why people go from one counselor to another because they're looking for someone who's going to tell them what they want to hear. And we do that with God. Lord, I'll listen, but you'd better tell me what I want to hear. But note this, catch this, I'm almost done. That misses the heart of a loving God who gave his son so that your sins could be forgiven and you could have life and you could live in a relationship with him. And he wants you to realize that he's that kind of father. So God talks to those who are childlike enough in their faith to seek him. He talks rarely in an audible voice. He talks to us all the time through his word. And he talks to us by his spirit speaking to our hearts. And he talks to us when we are separated unto him, when we find a quiet place where we can tune out everything else and hear his voice. And he talks to us most often when we are responsive, obedient. So I ask you this question in closing. What is God saying to you right now? What's he been saying to you all week? Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to respond? If you are, oh precious church, you're gonna see doors open up and God do things because he loves you so much that will absolutely blow your mind. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you're here today and you're backslidden and you haven't been walking with him, he's inviting you this morning into a holy romance. If you would just open up your heart to him today and say yes to Jesus and then start saying, Lord, get up tomorrow morning. Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
that you are a God who hears. We thank you, Lord, that you do speak to us, that you're personal, that you're interested in the everyday affairs of our lives. And Lord, I pray today that no matter where we are at in this room, that each one of us would in this moment just quiet our hearts and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I pray for those here today who have been wrestling with making a decision to really follow you, that today they would, that they would just right now in the quietness of their heart say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. That they would begin that holy romance with you, the God who loves them and gave himself for them. Lord, we thank you that you're near to us, that you speak to us. We just give you our hearts right now. Thank you, Lord.